that you've given, which, which are certainly a blessing, but the Lord's Day, and not just any Lord's Day, but this one right here that we have with these uh, brothers and sisters in Christ. We are grateful for this time that has been set aside to learn more about your Holy Scripture so that we might more accurately know more about you and about ourselves. So may you be glorified in this time and also bless the children in their Sunday school and, and uh, implant the word in their hearts as well. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Okay, so we're starting, uh, we're starting a new series. As you can tell, what it is that we are going to talk about. Okay, there we go. Okay, hot mic. All right. So obviously what it is that we are going to examine is dun, 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 the realm of the dead. Um, over the course of the next few weeks, the way I've kind of plotted it out, I think it's going to be about an eight-week-ish study, I think is what I'm, I'm kind of shooting for. And I will acknowledge that it's maybe unconventional for a Reformed church to look at things like the realm of the dead, or another way to put it is the underworld. Ooh, yeah, the underworld. And um, we're going to specifically look not just at this, but we're going to later look at the descent of Christ. So at uh, following the crucifixion, and his death, and that idea of the descent of Christ. And so that's the idea of what it is that we're doing. So that's our what right here. And then as far as our why, um, this is the reason that this has become a Sunday school class. I, I would say it's a combination of three things. The first thing that happened is, I don't remember who got their hands on the book first, but there was this book um, called Crux Mors in Fairy which is Latin, uh, by uh, Samuel Renahan, and it deals with this topic. And so, I don't know if it was Nick or whoever uh, got their hands on the book first and started talking about it, and then we talked about it more, and we talked about it more. So that's the first thing that kind of planted the seed, and then what kind of um, added to that is then, you know, here we regularly recite creeds, right? We have our catechism every other week, and then we fill in between with the Nicene Creed and with the Apostles' Creed. And in the Apostles' Creed, it says, he descended to hell, um, is the way that we've recited it and the way that you'll find it in, uh, in the hymnals that we use. And then that, after studying this, it sparked a discussion like, okay, what exactly is being, are we proclaiming as a truth? And so we wanted to make sure that we were accurate, um, so the whole discussion surrounding the Apostles' Creed came up. And then the third thing was that what we kind of realized is that regularly the word hell is inappropriately applied, at least in the context that most of us think about it. When you hear the word hell in biblical terms, you, you know, you, you, I'm assuming, think, you know, eternal destruction, eternal damnation, you know, the, the worst of the worst. Whatever biblically is the worst possible thing, that's hell. And so the word hell, at least that's the way that I think in our culture we've come to think about that, and that word has then been applied to, uh, to a lot of different areas to include translations of the Bible. 
There are places where the English translators have inserted the word hell, where that word itself in the original language isn't necessarily hell, and so there are some distinctions there that I think are important distinctions. So, between the uh, uh, getting planning the seed with uh, that first book, and then uh, our desire to be as accurate as possible with our creeds and, and what it is that we're, we're leading people into proclaiming as a truth, as a uh, ch- truth within the church, and then additionally, the, the idea of the language, specifically of the word hell, we thought, let's just do a Sunday school class on this. That, and actually, I should add a fourth one, which probably trumps all of them, which is Gary read the book, and he is like a dog on a bone, and he has wanted this Sunday school class ever since he read the book. So we're doing this for Gary. Yeah. Okay. So what are our goals? Our goal, we, I've, uh, I've got two different goals. Um, let me put this first. I, I'll put it in red. I know it's harder to see, but it just seems appropriate to put it. Number one, what our goal is, uh, let me start up here. What our goal is not... Our goal is not to obsess about mysterious things that are unknowable. We're not just going about a a thinking exercise where it might be fun to sit around and, um, you know, with friends and eat some snacks and ponder these huge truths. Those are great things and fun things to do. That's not what we're doing here. We're trying to see what does Scripture have to say, which takes us to our primary goal is to determine what has Jesus accomplished in the Bible. So when we talk about this underworld business and we talk about the descent, we're trying to focus on, okay, so we want to know better what Jesus actually did. Did he go to hell? Did he descend? What, what, what happened with this whole descent thing? That is a worthy cause right there in and of itself. And then the secondary goal is that we get more precise with our language. We want to use better language. Or, or at least understand when we say certain things. So, to that point, if I were to ask you, if I were to ask Mark to take the microphone to you and just start asking you to give some um, definition or understanding to these words, would you be prepared to do that? Sheol, the pit, Gehenna, Abaddon, Tartarus, the abyss, Hades, the lake of fire. All of those are in Scripture. Are, do you feel like you have a grasp on the distinctions? <laughs> and I would say most of us are probably like, well, no. Isn't that hell? <laughs> you, see what I'm saying? That's, that's where you go, uh, uh, we probably don't want to do that, even though we've kind of traditionally just done that. We just throw all these things into this realm of hell really bad. Stuff it in that, that hell box. So that's why we're doing it, is so that we can, of course, worship more accurately, so that we have a better idea what Jesus accomplished and make sure that we're using good language so that when you're studying scripture and you get to some of these words, you know, okay, what am I reading? What's happening? Who's involved in what's taking place? So that's, that's what, uh, why we're doing this. And then as far as how we're doing this, this starts to get pretty interesting, at least it does to me, is the way that we're going about this is we're going to talk about these things geographically and some. I've already uh, kind of just right now hinted at this one. We want to clarify our language. So we're going to do that by 
uh, as I go through this, we're going to end up talking about these different terms so that we'll hopefully, ideally, have a grasp on what those terms are. So that in your head, you can go, okay, semantically, I know what it means when it says Abaddon, or I know Sheol. Okay, I'm reading Sheol. I already, before I know the context of the verse and what's happening, just the fact that the word Sheol is used, I already, hopefully from this Sunday School class series, um, you'll be in a better place to understand what's going on semantically. And here's the other thing, which is geographically. So we're going to talk geographically about uh, context, and that's what we're going to slide into right now is this whole geographic thing. Now, I'm about to flip the, you're no longer going to have access, so I'm hoping that if your name is up here, you have your scripture, and you're ready to roll. Okay. Okay, so we are, what we are looking at today is, this is just to give us the framework, uh, that backdrop of understanding all this. And it's uh, what, uh, what was termed in one of the books as three-tiered cosmology. Sorry, let me pause for just a second. I brought these up here because I wanted you to know... Um, what sources I'm using. So obviously I'm using scripture. We have a whole bunch of verses listed up there. We're going to continue to look at scripture throughout the entirety of the study. But I also want to show you, so there is the book that I already pointed out that kind of got this ball rolling, the, uh, the Rana Handbook, Crux, Moore's, In Ferry. Uh, another book that, uh, that I'm using, and this, this first one I read cover to cover. I'm not claiming that I've read cover to cover these other ones, um, but I'm still using them because they were referenced by the first book and then also by others that I've listened to. This one is called He Descended to the Dead, an Evangelical Theology of Holy Saturday, Matthew Emerson. Is that one? And then this one is actually, I think, his, uh, this guy, Justin Bass. It's his dissertation that was put into print. And it is called The Battle for the Keys, Revelation 118, and Christ's Descent into the Underworld by Justin W. Bass. So as far as actual books, those are some of the materials that I am using um, as my sources. Also, I've listened to um, a Sunday school series um, taught by a pastor out of Parker, Texas that I, I don't personally but he has a handout. Besides listening to his whole series, he created a handout that has quite a bit of information in it, and he, I contacted him, and he was willing to share that with me. I will end up sending that out to all of you as well. It's too much. I'm not going to show up um, and, and hand out, I mean, the whole thing in total, because he, he, he includes the scriptures, and he has extra... Um, biblical literature sources and things like that in it. And so it's just helpful. So I will email that to you so you have it as a, as a reference or to those that want it, I should say. And then um, you can do with it whatever you want. But so I want to make sure credit for that goes to, um, his name is Eric Sowell, I believe, S-O-W-E-L-L, First Baptist Church out of Parker, Texas. And so he was, he was kind enough to share that as well. So We've got the three books. We've got um, his notes 
uh, a number of podcasts and Sunday school lessons and different things. So I wanted to make sure I have a, a pretty good grasp of what's happening and how that how it all connects within Scripture, because obviously our foundation is God's Word. But uh, so in light of that, now let's get to this backdrop, which is the context of everything that we're talking about is a three-tiered cosmology. And um, cosmology is a reference to a study of the universe. It's just, don't don't think, um, what's the read in your fortune? Astrology and that kind of, this is just the, the idea, the principle of studying the cosmos, the universe. And so uh, what we are going to see is that within Scripture, we have laid out for us a three-tiered cosmology. And um, I believe we're going to look at some verses at this time. So, uh, oh, wait, who can tell me? I know, I know this, it's a big word, but I know in this group there's absolutely people who can answer this question. First of all, sorry, hang on, Kaylin. Uh, what is anthropomorphism? Kaylin, all right, you already got the mic. Let her rip, Kaylin. So anthropomorphism is ascribing um, like human qualities to non-human entity, basically, I think. Yeah, so in a biblical sense, we're not just talking about a non-human entity. We're, we're talking about what? God, right. So there are visible, uh, there are visible physical attributes, physical phenomena that are attributed to God within Scripture. And then the second part of the question is why? Why is it communicated in Scripture using these things? If we know it's figurative, God is a spirit. He doesn't have a body, and yet we have these examples of God's mighty right arm and, you know, his eyes are everywhere and everything. Why does he communicate that way? Because go ahead. No, go ahead. You got the so microphone. Go ahead. can understand him. And right. Know him. Because we're finite being. He's infinite. We're finite. And God has condescended even in his language because he has determined that it's good Thank the Lord. He has determined that it's good that he has created a written account for us to study. But a written account written in a supernatural way or language that we couldn't understand would not be helpful to us at all. So he condescends even in his language to use terms that we can grasp in our heads and go, oh, a mighty right arm. I can picture that. I know that God doesn't have a right arm, but I can associate that. So we don't want to, we don't want to take God in those cases and, and compress him and contain him down to those things. But at the same time, we're able to look at those descriptors and apply those and have a better idea, right, of, of these concepts, of these biblical concepts. Well, I, what's happening here with this three-tiered cosmology is the same thing we see that in Scripture, God is using geographical terms. Now, does that mean that there's a GPS coordinate for, you know, some of these places? I I don't think so. We don't, I mean, I guess we don't know for sure, but I don't think there are geographical coordinates, uh, GPS coordinates for, you know, for heaven. But at the same time, God speaks to us in his word in local terms, 
in geographical terms. And so that's where we want to kind of frame our mindset. So with that in mind, let's look at some places in Scripture where it actually does that. So uh, our first one then is Colossians 1.16. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. Okay, so already in Kaylin's scripture there, in um, Colossians 1.16, we have the fact that we have the heaven and the earth. Of course, you could go to Genesis chapter 1, where he creates the heaven and the earth. And what other factor, uh, the next one's going to be Revelation 5.3, what other factor was in that verse besides him, uh, uh, he inserted a division for us of heaven and earth, so somehow those are different. And what was the other descriptor that was important in that? Yes, Wayne? Yes, there is both visible and invisible. So already at the outset, as we're building this this backdrop in our head, we're going, okay, we have separation between heaven and earth, and we also know that there is both visible and invisible. Okay, now let's get to Revelation 3, and then on the heels of that will be Philippians 2, 9 and 10. And to open the scroll... Oh, nope, got, got two lines mixed up here. And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. Okay, so what is the, while you're walking to the Philippians 2, 9, and 10, it's going to do the same thing. In the, I, I know I'm just plucking individual verses out, and so it, this probably is a little more difficult. But what, why, no, I'll just say it. Uh, what is happening in the context of what Paul just read and whoever's got Philippians 2, 9, and 10, there is a sense in which the entirety of all beings of any kind are being included. And it's being, and it's being this all-inclusive, this totality language is being leveraged geographically. So Philippians 2, 9, and 10, go ahead. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. Okay, so would we not all agree that the purpose of what's being described there is the totality of who it is that's going to bow the knee to Jesus? Every one, every being, and the everywhere. Yes, exactly, Rob Roy. And so the totality is being used in a local sense. God is using this anthropomorphic language. He's using terms that we can understand even for places that are invisible to us. We're still given terms that say everyone in heaven, in earth, and under the earth. So this is helpful for us. Obviously, there's the more specific to those verses. There's the concepts of what's taking place and that it is the, that, that idea of the totality. But that helps us to kind of reverse engineer and go, oh, so there is some form of heaven. There, we all know that there's an earth. And then, of course, now we know that there is as well uh, an under the earth. Now, we, uh, we already know what this one is here, this earth business. I don't think we need to look at a bunch of verses to talk about earth. That's what, that's what we live in all the time. But when we think about the two invisible ones, so heaven 
and under the earth. Uh, here is a, a quote from one of the books that describes heaven. Quote, heaven refers to that realm where God manifests his glory and is served and surrounded by angelic beings. So here in heaven we have, this is, we see consistently in verses that is the, the, the area, the locale, whatever it is, where God manifests his glory and where he is surrounded by angelic beings. Let's look at a couple verses. Ezekiel 1, 26 to 28. And above the expanse over their heads there was the likeness of a throne, an appearance like sapphire. And seated above the likeness of a throne was a, was a likeness with human appearance. And upward from what had the appearance of his waist, I saw as it, I saw as it were gleaming like metal, like the appearance of fire enclosed all around. And downward from what had the appearance of his waist, I saw as it were the appearance of fire. And there was brightness around him. Okay. So... This is, it's describing this whole glories. And did you catch three different times in there? It said above, above, and I think it said upward. And so already, this is language. We read these things, and praise God, he puts them in these terms for us so that we can just, they just kind of get into our heads and we just picture that. But it, right now in this series, we're holding still and going, well, where did we get this, this idea of above or up? Well, God, God said that. Now, does it mean, again, we're back to, okay, so does that mean that there's a um, spatial GPS coordinate above that gives a location for that? It's like, well, I don't know. It's invisible. But we do know that God is giving us these terms in the sense of uh, his glory and it being above. Uh, Revelation 4, 2 through 6. At once I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne stood in heaven with one seated on the throne, and he who sat there had the appearance of jasper and carnelian. And around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald. Around the throne were 24 thrones, and seated on the thrones were 24 elders clothed in white garments with golden crowns on their heads. And from the throne came flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder. And before the throne were burning seven torches of fire, which were the seven spirits of God, before the throne there was, as it were, a sea of glass like crystal. And around the throne, on each side of the throne, are four living creatures full of eyes in front and behind. Okay, so again we have this, this throne room being described. It's above, it's in the presence of all of these other thrones, these other angelic beings. Um, I would also say that the very temple itself is designed to look like, to replicate both uh, the garden of, uh, from creation and then also the future that God is creating with, uh, with us, that, that future in glory. And so uh, it shows that, um, that design of the temple and specifically within the Holy of Holies. So here's your quiz question. In the Holy of Holies, where did God's glory rest? Anyone? Let's throw it out. Okay, between the cherubim, correct. And what's between the cherubim? The mercy seat. 
Okay, uh, Leviticus 16.2 reads, um, And Yahweh said to Moses, Tell your brother Aaron that he shall not enter at any time into the holy place inside the veil before the mercy seat, which is on the ark, so that he will not die. For I will appear in the cloud over the mercy seat. So again, there's this sense of God's glory. It's over the, uh, it's over the, the top. He is above in 2 Samuel 6, 2, God sits enthroned above the cherubim. And so, again, going back to this uh, anthropomorphic language thing, we know that God is omnipresent, right? It isn't like he's contained to, to sitting on the seat and you have to go to him. And yet, he uses language in scripture to communicate to us. A, he uses local language that we can identify with. And in that local language, he describes how he is above and how he is over the mercy seat. So that is um, the idea, uh, or at least some of the verses that we can use to see how heaven, even though it's an invisible realm, we're given this descriptor that um, gives this, this above type feel. We're not going to talk about earth, but let's go to some under the earth verses. <laughs> Sorry, Prince. Job 11. Yes, right? Job 11, 7 to 9. Can you find out the deep things of God? Can you find out the limit of the Almighty? It is higher than heaven. Which can, which, what can you do? Deeper than Sheol, what can you know? Its measure is longer than the earth and broader than the sea. Okay, so again, we're getting language that talks about how great, how grand. And so these terms are put in the superlative. They're the, they're the most they can be. So how high is the heaven deep of Sheol? I know we haven't talked about Sheol yet, but uh, uh, the deepest portion or deeper than Sheol. And now Psalm 139, 7 to 10. Where shall I go from your spirit or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in shale, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the utmost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me. Okay, same thing. We have the superlative language as far as uh, attributes of God or, or his presence with us. It doesn't matter where we are. We could be as high as heaven or down in the depths of Sheol. So we're going to, next week, next, uh, next Sunday, we're going to get into um, Sheol in more depth, pun intended. Thank you, Sean. Um, but uh, to, uh, to kind of continue uh, the analogy here, let's look at some additional verses that kind of continue to, to paint this picture of this three-tiered cosmology. So Psalm 88, 3 to 4. So I know you're hearing Sheol. I'll just go ahead and write it down here, so at least. Okay. Ready? Go ahead. For my soul has been saturated with calamities, and my life has reached Sheol. I am counted among those who go down to the pit. Okay. Oh, sorry. One more. I am like a man without strength. Okay. So Sheol, right there, you start hearing these words, okay? We want to start breaking this down and associate it a little bit. This is what we know is Sheol. To go to Sheol is to go down. 
And we just got another word thrown in there that's associated with Sheol, and that's pit. So already we're seeing these words, Sheol and pit, and to go to Sheol is to go to the pit, which is to go down. Uh, Proverbs 1, 11 to 12. If they say, come with us, let us lie and wait for blood. Let us ambush the innocent without reason. Like Sheol, let us swallow them alive and whole like those who go down to the pit. There we go again. So they go down into Sheol. They get swallowed like a pit. Very good. Uh, Jonah chapter 2 verses 5 and 6. voting you off the island next week. Yeah, you know. sorry. I, I, I misread it. I, I thought it was James 2, 5, and 6. Yeah, that's okay. Jonah the, 2, 5, and 6. Go ahead. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. Okay, so again, as we're trying to figure out a little bit more this with the, that um, helps us f- create the picture of where it is that Sheol goes, again, we see that in the Jonah reference, it refer, it's being referred to as a pit. It's now added the word deep, and there is a land, in a sense, or at least figuratively, there is a land that is in the deep. Uh, Psalm 63, verse 9. But those who seek to to destroy my life shall go down into the depths of the earth. Okay. So now we have depths of the earth. So the, um, the, where it says depths, it could also be translated the deepest or essentially the, you know, the, um, the, the deepest of the deep, the lowest parts. And so we have more of this local descriptive language that talks about this idea of deep. So hopefully, as you're kind of, as we're reading these things and you're slowing down to think about these words and these descriptors of Sheol and pit and deep, is it the best idea then to just say that's hell? Full stop. And at this point, I haven't given you any real answers to that. But hopefully at a minimum, you're going, that's worth investigating. And maybe not just saying whatever hell is includes all of these. Because, and if you've thought about this before as well, just like when David says, you know, and his his son has died, right? And he wants to pull his hair out and say, I just, I'm going to go to Sheol to be with my son. And you think, well... Does he want to go to hell? Or is this just, you know, is he, is he just being melodramatic? And so uh, I think it is wise for us to, to kind of carve this up and, under, and think about it in a different way. Um, 
a contrast to what Gary just read about the depths and then these other verses as well. Second Corinthians 12, verse 2, and that I, the phrase that's used there where uh, Paul writes about somebody that he knows that was caught up to the third heaven. Anybody ever wondered about that one? Third heaven? So, of course, if you just, if you just read that, then you go, oh, wait, uh, are there compartments to heaven? You know, is there, a one, is there a one heaven, a two heaven, a three heaven? You know, it, it's, it's so, again, when we go back to the idea of this right here, that God is using a localized language, or in this case, Paul is communicating to his audience in a way uh, to, to, to help to make sure that they understand what, he, what this person claimed, because Paul even says whether he was there in person or that, I don't know. But in their cosmology, the idea would be that the sky that you see, the clouds, are the heavens. The out, what we refer to as outer space would be way out there. That's like the second heavens. And then if you're talking about, okay, the heaven, when we use the term today, well, heaven, more like that idea of, uh, you know, the, this presence or, or being in God's presence or wherever this exists or what this looks like, but put in local terms, then Paul is therefore saying caught up to the third heaven. So basically, if we were wanting to put it in our language, he is saying caught up, you know, went to heaven. Because that's the way we would just say it. Because if you meant what he meant as like second heaven, we would say like outer space, or we would say in the skies. But that's the language of that time because they had their own cosmology, the heavens, you know, heavens have heavens. So that gives you this idea again of the fact that scripture uses these different local terms to help us understand without knowing what an invisible realm under the earth looks like, or is it physically there? Like when people went in the grave, besides their body going physically down into the ground, did their souls go geographically down? I don't know. But we know that that's the kind of language that God uses in Scripture to help us frame theologically what's actually taking place. Let's look at uh, one more example. Nick, you get to Romans ten seven participate. Or, yes. Or who will descend into the abyss? That is to bring Christ up from the dead. Hmm. All right. We just added that one in. Now we have the abyss, where um, where Paul's writing about Christ descending. Again, we have this language of descent. That's a geographical thing. He's going down into the abyss. So this is what we know at this point, is that at a minimum, so we're going to keep it general right here, because I, 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 I want you to be able to kind of make this little journey mentally uh, as we go here. I don't want to overdo it, but this is what we know for sure, is that the abyss, the deep or the deepest, the pit, Sheol, in this category of under the earth, and that this is what we might refer to as the realm of the dead. Now, 
What I don't want you to do, because we're trying to slow this down and make sure we got our language right, is subtract out of your head at this point, hell. The idea of hell. Right now, all we have is dead. If you are going down to the dead, that would all of these terms. What we're going to see in upcoming classes throughout the series is that some of the terms use give greater clarification to what's happening or to locations, if you will, within the realm of the dead. So it starts to get divided. But for now, just know this, is we have this localized descent language. We're going to spend our time then focusing pretty much exclusively on this, geographically and semantically, and then we will shift about halfway through the series, we'll shift to discussing basically what Nick just read, which is Christ's descent to the dead. And what is it that, why did he go down there? Was it good? Was it bad? You know, what was happening? And what wasn't happening down there? So uh, I want to make sure that uh, this three-tiered cosmology is set in your head. And I also want to, to, to just um, prepare you and get you thinking through the idea of the use of the word hell. And, and I don't just mean within our language when we talk to each other or when people write you know, a, a journal article or a book or something. Even our English translations, and we're going to talk about this in more detail next week, even our English translations translate a particular word one way all the way through and then in a couple of spots say hell, even though it's... They didn't consistently call it that. And so we bring, so without me assigning um, uh, criticism to the translators, I will just say this. We have our own baggage that we walked into this room when we hear the word hell. And so when you read it, the word English word hell, we tend to import all of that baggage that we have into what Scripture is saying. And we want to flip it around and go, well, hold on, what is Scripture saying? And make sure that we're looking at what is being communicated from God's Word correctly instead of just bringing our whole hell picture in there. Okay, I've left five minutes for any uh, comments. Let me look at my notes, make sure. Yep. Yes. Um, is what you are teaching, I, I know it's probably new to a lot of people, but yes. is it, does that mean that it's, it's not orthodox? No, it does not mean that. Okay. It's so not, you want to say it in the positive? Yeah. <laughs> it is orthodox. Yes. There, nothing that I am teaching uh, falls outside the, boundary, uh, outside the boundaries of, um, um, of classical and orthodox um, biblical Christianity. Some of these things over the years we like, don't even look into. People just don't. They don't study it to begin with. And what I'm going to show you, particularly next week, is that what is there have been, because of some translation stuff, we've, we've made assumptions and, it's, and, and we've gone off course. So, sorry, I know I'm being kind of vague. But no, I'm not, I'm not coming up with some crazy new thing that nobody's ever, ever talked about. In fact... Um, we're not going to look at it, but the second half of this Renahan book actually talks about all the different um, creeds and, and uh, 
and confessions and things in, in ancient literature, um, first century, second century literature that kind of talks about these kind of things. So, Steve. Uh, looking at this uh, little diagram here and thinking about the terms above and below or under, uh, we, we're kind of thinking in that geographic sense maybe. So you mentioned like, you know, where's the, where's the GPS location? Is it possible we can also think of these in terms of quality uh, element? Uh, you mentioned a superlative in terms of depth, but like I'm just seeing like, like to me, heaven would be more desirable to be in than earth. And it's more desirable maybe to be on earth than under the earth. And so like if I'm, like maybe an analogy, let's say you're a um, referee or umpire for baseball and you can randomly be assigned anything from like the World Series game up into a weekend city league game that you have to officiate. Well, you would much rather be assigned to the World Championship game versus the we, the weekend one because that the world championship one is greater status, greater you know quality of play type of thing. I don't know, is that on base at all? Uh, let me just say to be continued because I okay. think as we move forward and talk about once we start dividing the under the earth up, we'll be able to okay. uh, yeah hit some of that. Uh, somebody else, Gerald, did you have? It, it sometimes helps me to think that God is outside of time, like yes. he's not bound by time or space. Yes. Um, is that true of heaven? Is heaven and, and the un, down under, are they not bound by our space, what we would call space or time? Are they, are they completely out of our, uh, out, of what, out of what we can I mean, sense? All I, I think all I can do is, is stand on what we know um, because everything else would be speculation. And, and this is what we know is that God is using t this language just so that at a minimum so that we can conceptualize. And we have invisible up here at the top. We have visible on earth. We have invisible under the earth. I don't know how, you know, space-time continuum, you know, I, I don't know how to. What I'm grateful for is that if that is true, if there is some sense in which it is not bound by time or something, then we can all acknowledge, well, how do we relate to that? We are bound. So we're right back to, well, thank you, Lord, that you're using language that is bounded language. There is, a, in the sense that there is a physical location. We can, that I can understand. I mean, we use analogies, and basically God is giving us an analogy, in a sense, by saying above, on, and under, so that we can digest some, some ideas properly. Going back to Colossians and uh, your question, for by him all things were created in heaven on earth, visible and invisible. All things were created through him and for him. So all things, whether they're invisible or visible, if they're created, they're bound by time. So in heaven, there are visible things and invisible things. The, uh, so... There will be a new heaven, there will be a new earth, we will be there, we will be sinless, we will be made new, we will be glorified, there will be a time aspect, and just as the Word became flesh and dwelt among us and entered into time while remaining timeless, um, 
Emmanuel, the new Jerusalem, the Lord will be with us uh, and condescend to be with us in time for eternity while remaining timeless. That's a great point. Thank you. That was, that was very helpful. Right on time, 945. All right, let's, uh, let's close in prayer. Lord, again, we're grateful for um, your holy scripture and that you have been willing to condescend, not just in body, by you, the Son, uh, being incarnate and suffering humiliation and dying and descending, whatever that means at this point, but also, Lord, you have condescended in language so that we can have some grasp of, of what it is that you have accomplished. So continue to uh, encourage us light a fire in us to know more about your scripture so that we might produce more godly, uh, godly fruit. Bless the service and the preaching that follows. In Christ's name, amen.